Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. And we're back. Matt, what do we do here on Finest Work Songs? Normally, what we do here on Finest Work Songs is we take one of the great classic albums and sometimes we talk about the warts that are exposed in it, but more or less, we just really celebrate the uh, wonderful classic albums that have been created. Why are we talking about Under the Table and Dreaming today then? Because <laughs> um, we've already run out of classic albums. <laughs> uh, felt like a good time for a, a slight departure or a, a pivot, if you will, to take an album that we both vehemently loved at one point in our lives and uh, revisit it. You know, Take a look back and you know, see if, we, if it still holds up over time. 20-year-old me would have died on the hill that Under the Table and Dreaming should be counted in the canon of classic albums. Yep, and uh, I would have been uh, right there with you. And and, and there are times where I, I go back to this album for nostalgic reasons, and so it'll be fun to, to talk through this one. I actually haven't listened to this album in 22 years yeah. until this weekend when we decided that we were going to do Under the Table and Dreaming. So I had a weekend full of Dave Matthews Band. Best weekend of your life. I wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's weird. It's actually weird how quickly it came back. I felt like I should be going to the dining hall or skipping class or something like that because it's very much related to college. This album and I would say this band in particular. Parts of the, this album stir up memories of, of, of people that used to be in my life a lot more than they are now, like you're saying, from that, that, that period of time where in college and people who um, exposed me to this album, to this band, and you know, for, for many years, it was a huge, huge part of my music, uh, listening, music, uh, you know, attending uh, life. You can't deny that it was an impactful album. This album was monumental for many reasons we'll, we'll get into, but it opened the jam band door, if you will. And I won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. It really was something I never heard before when this album came out. It opened that door for all of America. They sold almost 2 million copies out of nowhere. This being essentially their first released album. Mm -hmm. There were two albums before that, but one was self-released and one was just an EP mm -hmm. coming out of a very grassroots approach, building a fan base and touring like crazy. But let's get started with how we always do. Matt, what's your first memory of Dave Matthews Band? My sophomore year of college, uh, I had a suite mate who was from the Richmond area. Not too long after we moved into our, our dorm sophomore year of college, every day about three o'clock from the next room over, mm -hmm. he would he would play it loud enough so that he could go to everyone else's rooms and hang out, but still clearly hear the album. That's a considerate sweet mate. He was, he was a super, he was a very sweet sweet mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he... No, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what year was this of school? I was a sophomore. Okay, so previously we've learned yes. that all of your sophomore year, you and your roommate, Michael, yes. were playing Smashing Pumpkins. So were there yes. ever any battles of stereos in your suite? I mean, occasionally it would be the great, you know, uh, under the Table and Dreaming versus Siamese Dream. We called it the Dream Bowl. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you know, then across from the other hall, you know, Green Day's Dookie might uh -huh. make an appearance. And, oh, man, I mean, it was, it was fisticuffs, no doubt. Yeah. You know how if you play uh, 
Pink Floyd's The Wall <laughs> while you watch, what is it, Wizard of Oz? If you start Under the Table and Dreaming and Siamese Dream at the same time, what happens? I think a portal to 1994 opens up. <laughs> So he would he would play this album, you know, ad nauseum every day. And again, he was he was from Richmond. So I feel like he was already a fan and it was like his way of you know spreading the gospel of Dave. Like he was very uh, excited about this album and and never really got old, which was really interesting. I mean, every day he would play it. Oh my um, gosh. And it, and you know, it would start out you know, with those drums, and which is so iconic to this album, too. I mean, I can't think of this album without thinking of the beginning of that, of that first song. Within months, it was like, oh, well, Dave Matthews Band is coming. You know, we got, we got to go see these guys. And, and so almost overnight, it was, it was part of, like, my musical heritage, if you will. What about you? How did you, how did you first uh, get into Dave Matthews Band and listen to Under the Table and Dreaming? So like you, Matt, this album is associated with college. Although I didn't, I didn't actually attend. I worked as a janitor there. <laughs> and uh, I would work, you know, cleaning the floors and everything. And, and then I would just go out drinking with my buddies every night. Uh, we were up in Boston. I was having a great time uh, until the day that this pompous professor posted this math problem for his grad students. And I mean, and these guys were so full of themselves, all of them. And so I went up there and just started doodling around and, and he started yelling at me. But it turns out I was really, really good at math. And not just good at math, but I was a genius. And, you know, the reason I worked at the college was because I grew up an orphan and lived by myself uh, for all those years and was just trying to just trying to make it. Uh, when they found out I was a genius, then they thought I needed to get some help. And, oh, wait, because I hit a cop. <laughs> I saw this guy that had, like, picked on me in, in elementary school. So, like, any genius, mm-hmm. 15 years later, I get out of the car and I go over and my friends and I just started wailing on them. Sure. Then a cop came and, and I hit him, too, because I was all riled up and, yep. you know, geniuses. And um, the professor vouched for me, so I got to avoid jail time if I would go to counseling. Oh, that's, that's nice. So, it, it is nice, except they, you know, I had to go see this shrink and it's a waste of time. Yeah. But week after week, he kind of keeps pressing on those emotional wounds mm-hmm. that I have. And, and then one day, you know, the, the words that he spoke into my ears. You'll never forget them, will you? No, because he said, hey, my friend, it seems your eyes are troubled. Uh, would you care to share your time with me? Would you say you're feeling low, and so a good idea would be to get it off your mind? Man. And that began the healing process. Oh, man. Yeah, and then on my way out, he handed me uh, a CD <laughs> under the table and dreaming, and wow. he said, I think our sessions are done. Dave's going to take over from here. <laughs> yeah, that story is really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, man. No, I went to JMU, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia, about 45 minutes from Charlottesville. It's got to be the epicenter at this point, right? Charlottesville is. Yeah. That's what you heard in every dorm room, Mm -hmm. coming out of every Jeep. Every hacky sack soundtrack was Dave Matthews under the table and dreaming. I'm sorry. That was actually their their original band name was Hacky Sack Soundtrack. (laughs) I will admit 
I had a Dave Matthews Band sticker. Oh, the Dancing Fire Girl thing? Absolutely not. I had limits. <laughs> you have your own set of standards, yeah, I guess. But it did say Dave Matthews Band, and, and probably in that awful papyrus font. <laughs> it was papyrus. Yeah. It? Uh, so yeah, I was in, man. I was into Dave Matthews Band. There was something where that period of my life, they hit really hard. Mm-hmm. And they meant a whole lot to yeah. me and many other college students. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about this album, Another Table and Dreaming. First track on here is... The one that saved my life. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. If you want to sum up Dave Matthews' band, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. It's yeah. an apt description. This isn't your uh, traditional guitar, drum, bass band by any means. I think that's you know, part of what the appeal was and what was so uh, eye-opening at the time, and probably frankly still is for a lot of people. It's pretty heavy you know, acoustic guitar, lead, but then you've got violin, you've got horns and saxophone and very distinct percussive elements going on as well. Mm-hmm. Put all that together, and, and so definitely a unique, interesting sound, particularly for that time, for you know, the early to mid-90s. Yeah, and reading up on this, which, by the way, the information that I was able to find in 30 minutes on the internet, yeah. I would have killed for you know, in 1994. Right. I've learned more about the band over this weekend mm-hmm. than I learned in years of being a huge fan and trying to soak up every bit of information that I could. So young kids appreciate the internet. That's right. When you think about it, Dave writing these songs and having this approach, how would he put a band together? Mm-hmm. He's a unique songwriter, unique stylings of voicings of chords and of playing mm-hmm. his um, playing style. That was something also I think that attracted musicians mm-hmm. and acoustic guitarists, especially look at this very percussive cool way you can play that that is attainable it's not mm-hmm. out of reach and apparently he had been bartending at the jazz club and was really taken by Leroy is it Leroy I think it's Leroy uh, Leroy Moore and Carter Beaufort he approached them to play they got together for a session and by their account it was terrible mm-hmm. you know which I still think the three of them together was probably pretty good. Probably pretty good. Yeah, it was yeah. better than the first session that I had with my high school or college band. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then they needed a uh, a bass player, so naturally they turned to a 16-year-old boy. Sure, of course. Yeah. His name was Stefan. And still is. Yeah. It, it's, it's Stefan, right? Stefan. Yeah. I think it's Stefan. It's not Steven or Stefan. Stefan. Is it Stefan? It's got to be Stefan. We're calling him Stefan. Yeah. Mama name's Stefan. I'm gonna call him Stefan. <laughs> you know, so then they had this bass player, which I looked I looked him up because I've always wondered, how is this kid so good? Yeah. And how old was Carter Beaufort at the time? How what's the age difference? Let's find out. So yeah, so sixteen and thirty-two. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a thirty-two year old, incredibly accomplished jazz drummer. Right. And they're like, We're gonna bring this sixteen year old bass player to follow you around. Was it on Carter? To uh, kind of babysit the kid. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe he taught him how to drive. 
<laughs> he was a father figure to him. <laughs> and they get on stage, and he's just like, hey, man, pick up the pace a little bit. You're not my real dad. <laughs> like, come sit, come sit on my lap. We'll, we'll tell you about the birds and the bees. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, the, yeah, they said uh, Stefan had to sneak into clubs and everything. Yeah. I feel like Dave Matthews broke all sorts of child labor laws. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he should probably be in jail. Nobody's answered to that. George Harrison was too young, and they kicked him out of Germany. Right. Stefan is too young, and they give him some Grammys. That's right. Now, apparently, Stefan was like a child wonderkin. Like yourself. Like me. Yeah. 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 But he had more opportunities. Right. He had parental support because his parents were... Carter. Yeah. <laughs> Carter, his dad. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's one final missing piece of the... The puzzle, right? Oh, yeah. See, if they had stopped there, I would have been pretty happy. But then they go and add Boyd. They were missing a piece uh, when Dave had a song called Tripping Billies, and they asked Boyd to come play violin on it. Because what says rock and roll more than violin? Right. <laughs> what you know? They talked to Dave later, and he, and he said, I wasn't out with a specific band in mind i asked Leroy because i really liked his playing mm-hmm. you know so it's not like he thought i need a saxophone so right. he just really liked Leroy's playing and then it was okay this guy plays violin mm-hmm. i like to think of him adding people and there's somebody nearby who just plays you know the accordion <laughs> and he's like man that guy's really good he should probably be a part of this because there didn't seem to be a roadmap. no like oh man we just heard the most amazing didgeridoo player <laughs> and we were Totally adding him as like the sixth member of the Dave Matthews band. And he's like an aborigine, like full on, full like on. painted yeah. and just wearing a loincloth. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, man, have you heard that homeless lady play spoons? She is. I give her money every day, but I feel like she needs to have a bigger audience. She would she would fit in. <laughs> Plus, she could teach Stefan how to vote. <laughs> I wouldn't laugh at homeless people, but I've never seen one playing spoons. <laughs> no, I'd like to. I don't feel like they'd be homeless for long. No, I mean, they'd probably end up in like a Soundgarden video or something. <laughs> That's right, Spoon Man. One uh, interesting fact that I think is true about Leroy Moore, mm-hmm. and, you know, I always got to bring this full circle you know, back to me. Some sources cite that he was born actually in Dunn, North Carolina, which is my hometown. Really? Others say Durham, so it could just be lost in translation. Someone might have said Durham. Well, and they didn't know if it was Dunn or Durham, which c- could happen. I like to think it's Dunn, and I like to think that he was influenced by Mule Days. Yes, of course. I think you hear that in his sax playing. Although, to be fair, if he even was born in Dunn, I don't think he was in Dunn long, because I think at some point he then moved to Virginia. It doesn't take long. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's with you forever. It's in your blood. It is. Yeah. It is in your blood. Man, this song does not hold up. No. Even before we were we were going to talk about this album, I was listening to the radio a few days ago, and the song came on. And as it got towards the end of it, I just remember thinking to myself, this is such a dumb song. <laughs> it is. Gosh. And this is what people liked. This is what got to number 11. Yep. I think it has something to do with how different this was. I mean, this was really different from anything else really on radio on mainstream radio at that time yeah and no doubt it's it's catchy and memorable too you can hear it one time and you're going to be 
repeating that those lines uh, throughout the day. But uh, I mean, I think it, it had to do with how outside the, the, the sphere of normalcy this was. I mean, it really was um, unique. Yeah, that's right. One of the things that drew me to it at the time, and I think really appealed to people, was the complexity mm-hmm. uh, to kids who grew up, you know, and, and you're listening to pop music or rock or alternative music, you know, you've got jazz elements coming in mm-hmm. and some really intricate stuff. And a lot of that is attributed to Carter Beaufort. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's the one that people flip out about. His is kind of a neat story as a drummer. His dad growing up was going to see Buddy Rich, the mm. famous, yep. incredible, right. historic drummer, and uh, couldn't find a babysitter. So he took Carter with him. And then Carter just was mesmerized wow. as a young kid. And when Carter set up his drum kit, he set it up open like Buddy Rich. And so can't see what I'm doing with my hands. But if you it's take... A, it's amazing. Yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the drumming that's going on. It's like the air <laughs> drumming. It's like a, a middle-aged white dude at a Rush concert. But my hands are open as opposed to, you know, when you see somebody playing drums and they've got their right hand crossed over their left because mm-hmm. their right's playing the hi-hat and their left's mm-hmm. playing the snare. Or left over right if you are left-handed. But he had it open, and this is what enabled him to do a lot more than traditional drummers and uh, make things really complex. But that complexity that's throughout Mm -hmm. is the thing that now, when I listen, kind of grates on me a little bit. It's it's a little frustrating (laughs) and overwhelming. Especially this song, because I got an idea. Let's add John Popper. Yes. The harmonica player from Blues Traveler. So we got a sax solo. Nope, that's not enough. Here comes the didgeridoo. Yeah. <laughs> Who's next? Who's next? <laughs> oh, gosh. John Popper. Oh. He does not hold up. Yeah. I'm experiencing sensory overload. Yeah. You know, my ears need a break. Uh, actually, and we get one next. <laughs> that second acoustic that comes in. That's Dave. <laughs> All right, Dave, just play one note. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I, I was not aware about this album until reading up on it was how much sort of overdubbing Tim Reynolds did on this album over Dave Matthews playing. Tim Reynolds is a name closely associated with Dave Matthews. He did the EP with him Mm -hmm. and, and you heard his solo playing where it was just the two of them and he was incredible. Yeah. And so he was someone that was kind of a fifth Beatle, if you will. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I just said that about (laughs) Dave Matthews band. Well, you already referenced George Harrison. So, I know. I mean, it's, yeah. Ugh. Already gone down that road. I'm sorry, Beatles. Have I ever told you my Tim Riddle story? No. I know, I know. Everybody's got a Tim Riddle story, but here's mine. A friend of mine asked me to come play a show, just one show. I went to Richmond, and we worked on these songs that she had written with this with this other guitar player, but we were putting a full band to it all and, and, and playing the show. And so we go and we play the show. And then there's this guy that just absolutely loves what she does. Mm-hmm. And he fronts 10 grand to put us into the studio. And we've been a band for six weeks. Wow. If that. And I'm saying, hey, this is a really bad idea. You don't go into the studio with uh, 
with this. You don't drop the money on that. That's not magic here. You know? Right. But we did. We went into the studio, and then we put out this CD. So then sometime in April, we went down with Young Life, which is this high mm-hmm. school ministry. They did this thing down in Florida. And so we went down with all these high school kids from Richmond, and we played music all week. And then you know we got to meet the kids and everything, and then we let them know that we were having a CD release party at the end of that week. And so when we came back, they all came to the CD release party. Nice. Just because they knew us. Yeah, right? that's great. So we had our CD release party. We booked this place that was fairly good-sized venue in Richmond mm-hmm. called Alley Cats. I don't know if it's still there or not, but you know, it was a mm-hmm. legit venue. That was the all-ages show. Then, later that night, we played an after-hours show. The lead singer of the band was in a sorority, and there happened to be a huge sorority event that night and so she convinced everybody from this party to come and the venue like flipped out because we're this band that comes out of nowhere that packs it out you know two times in one day with all ages and with they didn't know that it was kind of rigged and we weren't trying to rig it it just worked out beautifully but they decided to give us a standing gig every week we got to play every thursday night there and maybe the first time we convinced our friends to come out, and then the second time our family, and then you know maybe some more friends. As the summer went on, we played a show to our friend who did merch. But we did get to open up for Tim Reynolds, and I was really excited about Tim Reynolds. You know, I'm in my Dave Matthews phase. You got your, your sticker on your car. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like I'm standing out there waiting by the car, just pointing at the sticker, like <laughs> leaning on the, Yeah. And so I'm eyes open for Tim Reynolds. You know, we're there early. We do yeah. our sound check. They're loading in. It's just Tim Reynolds and his band. Right. And so I'm kind of looking around asking everybody. And this guy comes in carrying these cases. He's like five foot two. He's got this long hair. He looks like a roadie. And I was like, hey, man, have you seen Tim Reynolds? Is, is he? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm Tim Reynolds. Oof. Yeah. I didn't talk to him after that. <laughs> I was hoping to maybe bond with him, but it was clear that he knew I didn't know who he was. Right. But this is pre internet. Yeah. How, I mean, how would you know? Unless there I mean, was a picture on the CD. I or... don't think there were. I mean, I don't remember seeing pictures of Tim Reynolds. That was the first time I'd seen him. Yeah, so Tim Reynolds was another session guy in, mm-hmm. in Charlottesville, and apparently maybe Dave's chops weren't up to speed, at least in the recording studio. Right. At, that, at that time, at yeah. least. Which yeah. is a little bit shocking to us now, because mm-hmm. at the time you think it's, it's all Dave. It's all him, yeah. yeah. Satellite in my eyes like yeah, Satellite was crowd pleaser of a song. And this is also a great outdoor amphitheater song as it's getting darker. So I just have memories of like people thinking, oh, this is this is awesome. It's, the stars are out and, and they're playing Satellite. Yeah. doesn't bother me in the same way that when i hear a sting song come on <laughs> you know it doesn't bother me right no this, I, I feel like this one still holds up although as we've talked about it there's still even for a simple song like this i mean i say simple i mean i don't think it's a simple song but simple melody there's still quite a bit going on there's still some complexity to it had this been any other band doing the song they would have done it way more straightforward but they, they still add the complexity. It's simple for Dave Matthews' band. Right, exactly. Uh, this next one, though. Oof. 
all the songs start out with some acoustic riff that sounds like he's doing like a guitar exercise, <laughs> you know, like a warm up right. exercise. Right. And it's like he starts warming up and then they just start playing along. Right. She's like, oh, keep doing this. Oh, yeah. This, oh, you like this, huh? <laughs> we don't care what you do. Yeah, it's called the Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. We're going to do what you, you start. <laughs> See, it's in moments like this, it doesn't bother me that much because one thing I like is that they're all kind of staying in their lanes. Yeah. They're not playing over one another. I think it really starts to bother me when they're doing like different lines right. together, you yeah. know, and start jamming. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it's Carter and Stefan are just keeping a groove, yep. and Boyd is barely doing anything. <laughs> I found that that's when I'm most happy. <laughs> Let's skip a little bit ahead to uh, to when he starts really growling and yelling at us. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever re- re- realized how much growling yeah. is going on in that, in that part of that song. Yeah, that's not the day that we signed up for. No, no we're, we're looking for monkey on a string and that's satellite, right. you know, that's right. satellite of love. We're not looking for you yelling <laughs> at us about the needle needle to the vein. Lying cold in your grave. Yeah, jeez. All right. Thanks for nothing, Dave. <laughs> anyway, that song, as soon as I heard it, I was like, why are we doing this album? <laughs> If you keep moving on, he smooths things out. Mm-hmm. Here's another guitar exercise for us. It's like he's tuning. <laughs> and, oh, I had some cymbal. Yeah. No, 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 Carter. I'm Wait till I'm done. <laughs> Wind chimes. Yeah. Ten fingers counting, we have each nine. Maybe counts down ten, nine, eight, seven. Mm-hmm. Clever. Yep. It's a typical situation in these typical times. Too many choices. Everybody's happy. Yeah, see, it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah. And again, Boyd's not playing. Right. That's when I realized I'm like, I like this. It's like, oh. Which I don't I don't hate Boyd, but right. you know, back in the day when mm-hmm. you would see them live, he got old quick. Yeah. He was very much about himself yeah. and like Always working out and wearing tank tops, not on stage, but he was wearing tank tops on stage. Yeah, but right. you know, it was clear that he was about himself, promoting himself, yeah. and uh, he loved his guns. He loved his guns. Yeah, Boyd Tinsley's biceps opened for Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> He'd walk out stage and just start flexing. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of the songs he barely played, so he had to do something. That's right. They were actually, can you play more here? He's like, I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> Got the pythons out. <laughs> yeah, people came to see these. <laughs> All right, next we got. Oh boy. Well, could I have been Dancing Nancy. Parking lot attendant. Could I have been a millionaire in Bel-Air? Could I have been lost somewhere in Paris? Could I have 
we get it? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, there he is. Oh, there. saying i am who i am who i am well who am i at the time that this album was really prevalent in my life i remember thinking like oh man those are such deep lyrics yeah i really poured over them and thought man he's really like touching on something there yeah 23 i'm so tired of life it's like (laughs) you're 23 and also maybe it appealed to us because it seemed like a college dude writing lyrics right it was it was mundane but quote unquote deep thoughts sort of the things you kind of talk about in your like 100 level college sociology class that's right yeah i picture him doodling in these classes and like oh man this is going to make a great topic for a song or sitting there and the teacher's actually talking about something existential and he raises his hand he's like yeah but could i have been a parking lot attendant (laughs) looks around nods his head (laughs) and the girls are like oh my gosh do you have a guitar because if so, I'd like to hear from you. And do you have a really well-built violin player as well? Do you know any 16-year-old bass players? Because <laughs> if so, we're bringing our friends to your show. We also show. like older drummers. <laughs> <laughs> do you know any mysterious, uh, non-speaking sax players? <laughs> do you happen to know Tim Reynolds? <laughs> do you know any short elf-like men who play the guitar better than you? <laughs> This is, if you say Dave Matthews, man, this is what probably most people think of. that was a good verse Mm -hmm. that we look at each other wondering what the other's thinking but we never say a thing and these crimes grow deeper i thought that was pretty good But I'm gonna take that back with that verse because that was stupid. Goes to visit his mommy. He's just being real, man. You can't discredit the impact and the power of that song. Every concert. I've seen of theirs, and I've been to my share of Dave Matthews Band concerts through yeah. the years. That simple hit of the snare drum and that rhythm mm-hmm. puts people into a frenzy. 
because they, they know what's coming with ants marching. If you remember, which I'm sure you do, the original recording of that on Remember Two Things, he started off with that snare hit 16 times yeah. before anything else happened. Right. Which producer Steve Lillywhite mm-hmm. said when he first heard Remember Two Things that he thought the CD was skipping. Because who starts off a song with 16? Yeah, with snare hits, you know, which is why probably one of the first things he did in the studio was, eh, let's shorten that a little bit. Carter's like, cool, cool, down to 12? Yeah. Because initially I was going to go 24, so I could half that and go to 12. And he's like, I was thinking more like four. Man, just killing my thunder, Steve Lily White. Yeah. This is a single. Jimmy? Yeah. This was a single? It was the second single after uh, What Would You Say? Oh my gosh. I always thought this was about sex. Yeah. But when I was reading up on it, they were saying it's about trucks. I thought it was about Jimi Hendrix, which I couldn't understand why an acoustic guitar song would be about Jimi Hendrix. Right. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix never touched an acoustic. <laughs> Get that thing away from me. <laughs> That's how guitar smashing was invented. Right. <laughs> was he just, just like smashed it? <laughs> It wasn't because he was like performing on stage. He's like, this thing, get it away from me. This thing doesn't have any plugs. <laughs> you give me a broke guitar. <laughs> I can't believe this was a single. It didn't chart. It didn't do it well as a single. But this was this was one of those songs. Again, I think back to my sweet mate who would play this. I mean, this would be the one... Yeah, he would be doing his head bopping and getting into this one probably more than any other song on the album. And it was also one that, you know, I had to learn how to play this on guitar. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was never tempted to play this. Yeah. yeah. And I, cause I, I feel like girls like this song, too. So I think that was something that was appealing. Did that work out for you? No, never. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We can stop there. Yep. Next, they decide to get into Jam Town. Population six. six. Yeah. <laughs> Again, starting with the acoustic. Yep. Still just tuning up. And Dave's doing just a vocal warm up. It's not <laughs> lyrics. You said that Dave Matthews Band introduced you to jam bands. Mm-hmm. It's like accessible jam band music. That's a good way of putting it. Because yeah. it still has kind of pop hooks and melodies and everything and Boyd Tinsley's biceps. <laughs> and, um, but it still keeps its pop sensibility. Yeah, I've never been into jam bands, so yep. I've never listened to Fish or Grateful Dead or anything. But the times I have checked those out, it has a lot more of that wandering off into jamming. And this has, it kind of has its feet in both worlds yeah. of jam. And then even, they all have their feet in the world. You yeah, know, like right. Jam, bluegrass, pop, jazz, funk, jazz you know, maybe not funk, but fusion. Yeah, and, world music. Yeah, so it's like they're throwing everything together and right. bringing it all together. They have enough of a jam band sensibility that you've got people that tour with them. The fan base still rides with them. They earned 530 million in the 2000s. Wow. Yeah. And that was in a time that touring was down. Down. Yeah. 
Well, and, and you know, the jam band aspect of it, this, this is definitely one of those songs where, like you said, it opened your eyes to jam bands. Like, I, I was not someone who was into the dead or anything like that. Yeah. Or fish. But, yeah, this was one of those songs that made me want to at least briefly look into that and listen to that a little bit. But it, conversely, it was the jamming that eventually turned me off from Dave Matthews Band. So I'm somewhat jokingly, but after seeing them for the you know, 15th time, it's a three-hour show and it's eight songs. Right. And seven of them you're not particularly happy with. <laughs> and, and, and you know one of them is going to be all along the watchtower. Yeah. At that point, it, it started to be, okay, we get it. You guys, you guys can jam. And not that I was even coming to hear all the hits necessarily but at some point it got to just be a bit much yeah yeah no i agree those live shows got a little bit tedious but you talk about it being you know the like hardcore fans i was was, when i was reading up on this album i did not realize that there's i'm sure there are a lot of dave matthews cover bands but one of them is called warehouse yeah this is this is a song apparently that longtime fans can tell you their favorite version of warehouse from a specific concert so they do it a little bit different all the time right to me if you have fans like that you're a jam fan right also two dave matthews fans named their pizza restaurant warehouse oh So they end the album with uh, "Pay for What You Get," which is a real kind of jazzy thing. Or do they? Ooh! Because then, Easter egg. If you let it keep playing, you get down to uh, a nice, refreshing palate cleanser of sorts. Yeah, so, like this is, this would have been the '90s. There were, you know, I had friends who worked at like environmentally themed stores at the mall where you could get rain sticks, yeah, and crystals and things like that. And I feel like the song would be the soundtrack to that those kinds of stores if dave matthews and carter beaufort and Leroy moore got together pulled in stefan this was their first song they would just would have become a low-key jazz act yep. in charlottesville the quiet storm yeah <laughs> and that would have been their fate yep you would have walked by a wine bar and you'd see them playing in there and you think this is nice yeah and instead, they added Boy Tinsley, <laughs> and they ended up with this. Oh my gosh. So, uh, <laughs> what could have been just pleasant jazz ended up being Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. So what do we think? Matt, what was your experience like revisiting this album? It's been fun to go back and listen to this, to think back through some of the the memories of this album and and the time when this album came out. I don't think as an album from start to finish it holds up as well as some of the other ones we've talked about on this podcast. There are definitely some moments uh, where it holds up well. It, It was an important album probably still is an important album for, for what it, what it did at the time. And, you know, as, as I was thinking about, you know, 1994 and the Dave Matthews band, and I'm probably overstating this a little bit, but you know, there was about a two year or so window where it was pretty remarkable to think about the impact that bands from the South were having with mainstream rock and roll and mainstream pop radio. Cause you have Dave Matthews band out of Virginia, you know, Hootie and the Bluefish, the cracked rear view was just a, 
monster of an of an album that tended to spawn off other hits and other acts you had i mean edwin mccain was big for a while oh yeah um vertical horizon and then i'm sure we will talk about them at some point as well but you know the connells even in europe i mean with 74 75 at around the same ballpark of a time yeah was just a huge you know international hit and, and as as i was thinking about that what's what's interesting about all those bands they were from the south but they weren't playing country music they weren't playing southern rock and they were all you know mixed race bands which is a pretty phenomenal thing to think about yeah um, I, you know, I mean to me you know 1994 1995 seems like yesterday we're 20 plus years away from that and so that, that was a different time and to have that kind of impact from from bands like that i think is, is pretty remarkable yeah absolutely for me, it marks a time that I look back and wince because there was a period in college where my music taste, I felt like, got worse, <laughs> you know? Because all those bands that you mentioned, Edwin McCain, Vertical Horizon, Guster, which mm -hmm. there's a Guster album that we'll talk about because I think they still hold up. Hootie, mm -hmm. you know, all of these uh, acoustic bands I really just loved. It was like I got into just all these acoustic-based bands, mm -hmm. and that's just not what I was before mm -hmm. or after college. There's something about college yep. and that atmosphere we may have to unpack it another time. Yes. I don't know what it is. This speaks to me of a phase of life that uh, even though musically I look back and don't listen to a lot of that stuff anymore, the memories that it brings are mm -hmm. incredible, mm -hmm. which is pretty funny to juxtapose the feelings I have about the music with right. that being some of the best memories of my life. All right, Matt, so Boyd Tinsley's got you in a headlock. Oh, boy. That monster ball of a bicep is just pressing in on your temple and you're about to black out unless you give him uh, a song that needs to be removed from this album what would you choose uh for me i would probably choose uh, rhyme and reason just because that is terrible yeah <laughs> exactly um and it's just got it's got all the bad qualities of a dave matthews band song Boy Tinsley. Yep. <laughs> Dave growling. <laughs> Dave growling. Noodling. Just yeah. oppressive percussion. I mean, just... Uh, we actually agree on this one. Yeah. I would take that one off as well. And then what you have are kind of light, slower, jazzy type, pleasant songs, poppy, fun songs. You know, what would you say? And uh, best of what's around. More radio-friendly hits. And then uh, slightly jam-based songs, yep. like Warehouse. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a better representation of what draws people to Dave Matthews Band. I don't think anybody heard Rhyme and Reason and said, that's for me. Yeah, what else is on the album? Yeah, guys in concert. Yeah, you know? <laughs> maybe they did, but yeah. all right. Are you, are you listening? Are you, are you listening? We are stories. Find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Finest Work Songs. But we'd love to hear from you through uh, our email, finestworksongs at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this album. You might vehemently disagree with us on this one and, and think this album holds up extremely well. Just please don't tell Boyd Tinsley where we live. 
because you might beat us up with this Python. Also, if, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any any other place where uh, podcasts are found, please uh, rate us, give us a review, let us know what we've done well, what we've done wrong, and uh, we'd also love to hear what, what albums you'd like for us to talk about in the future. Yeah, and thanks to all the folks who are interacting with us on Instagram. We're having a lot of fun with uh, your comments and the polls that we do, so we look forward to more of that. Well, next time we'll have maybe just a straight upgrade album <laughs> instead of a uh, question mark at the end of it. <laughs> but it's been fun to revisit this. And so uh, with that, till next time, uh, like Bobby Brown, we hope you keep humping around. Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music.